Welcome to Envision Community Church's Ridiculous Love Podcast. Whether you attend our Longmont-based services or tune in online, we're so glad that you're here as part of our funky and fully affirming church today. We begin each of our podcasts just as we begin each of our services with our ethos. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ plus and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. If you'd like to financially contribute to our church and our partners, you can text any amount to 84321. And now, on to this week's sermon. It is good to be back. I was in Des Moines two weeks ago, uh, speaking at a church, and then I was in Atlanta after that for TED Women, and then last weekend I was at Evolving Faith Conference speaking there in Minneapolis. So thank you to Stacy for preaching two weeks ago, uh, and to Logan for being here last week. Heard that those went wonderfully well today. Now we come back to our look at the book of Romans. Today, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And Romans is split into three sections, 1 to 8, 9 through 11, and 12 to 16. In chapters 1 to 8, doing a bit of a recap, there are basically three issues being considered. The first issue was that the Jewish Christians were expecting the non-Jewish Christians to obey all 613 of the Jewish laws. And that was something that Paul says throughout the first eight chapters is not acceptable. Now, if you try to put that in today's language, that would be like saying to someone today here in the United States, a U.S. citizen, you not only have to follow the Constitution of the United States, you also have to follow all of the laws of Great Britain. And you would say, why would I follow the laws of Great Britain? I don't live in Great Britain. That's pretty much how it was then, but that person would then reply to you, oh, but yes, 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 but your constitution is based on the same thing British law is based on. So you have to follow British law because they're both based on the Magna Carta. Well, yeah, actually, no. They both come from the same roots of the Magna Carta, but I don't have to pay attention to British law unless I live in Great Britain. And somebody from there doesn't have to pay attention to American law unless they live here. So it was rather absurd for the Jewish Christians to be telling the Gentile Christians, you have to follow all 613 laws of the Hebrew scripture. He says, you don't have to do that. The second thing he talks about in the first eight chapters is sin. And he's letting us know sin is not pretty much how evangelicalism wants to define sin today, which is the things you personally do wrong, kind of zipped up inside your being, usually defined as sexual sins. Instead, he defines sin as a cosmic malevolent force that we become a part of. And basically what I said about that about five weeks ago is that we will all do things in groups of people we would never consider doing when we are just by ourselves. That we can get involved in mob mentality. And if it's a good thing, it's a cosmic benevolent force. If it's a bad thing, it's a cosmic malevolent force. And so that's how he defines sin. And then the third area that he was talking about is the fact that everybody, no matter who you are, is loved by God just as you are. 
So all three of these things left both the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians saying, but wait a minute, for the last, I don't know, several thousand years, God has had a special relationship with just one nation, the nation of Israel. So basically what you're telling us is that God no longer has a special relationship with the nation of Israel. God no longer has a chosen nation. And Paul has said, yeah, basically, that's what I'm saying. God no longer has a chosen nation. The chosen nation are the followers of Jesus. So then people are asking, but what about the Jews? That's chapters 9, 10, and 11. What about the Jews? And he ends it up with a section of scripture in the 11th chapter of Romans that has incredible relevance to what's happening today in the world, including over the last few hours. 11th chapter of the book of Romans. And we'll pick it up with the... Um, 17th verse. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others on the olive tree, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, don't boast over those branches that were cut off. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root, but the root supports you. So he's going to use olive trees as an example for how God is going to deal with Israel. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. The Jews broken off, the Gentiles grafted in. Granted, Paul says, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but be afraid. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. That is important. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So what religion has decided over the centuries is that what Paul is saying there is that there will come a time when the Jewish people will come back to Jesus. First thing. Second thing. We're going to talk about something we never talk about around here. We're going to talk about the second coming of Christ. We're not going to talk about it because the Bible doesn't talk about it all that much and because it's not something we really feel the necessity of talking about. But right now, it's extremely relevant. Because evangelical Christians and fundamentalist Christians, their more conservative cousins, are fixated on when Jesus is going to return. And there are, in fact, three different perspectives on this. The first perspective is what's called the post-millennial view. Now, the post-millennial view says that the world will get better and better and better and better and better until finally Jesus comes and reigns for a thousand years. After the end of that thousand years, Satan will be loosed and the battle of Armageddon will take place, and the world will end, burn in fire, and all followers of Jesus will go to heaven. That's what's called the post-millennial view, and it was very, very popular in the 19th century. Popular because back then, we had this very, very positive view of humans that we were just going to get better and better and better. I mean, if you've ever been to Chautauqua, that is actually why Chautauqua exists. 
because there were utopian societies, entire cities. And Chautauqua was one of those utopian societies where people came together because they were going to become one. And if there was no longer going to be any conflict between people, then the world would be good and Jesus would say, now it's time to come back to this perfect world. So this was very popular in the, 19, or in the 1800s, 19th century. And uh, today in the world, I think there are like six people who still believe it. <laughs> Because look around you, the world's not getting better and better. So there's a second view. And by the way, all three of these views say the earth is going to end in fire. It's just whether it's soon or a thousand years from now. This is why you cannot get any fundamentalists or evangelicals to get excited about climate change. Because as far as they're concerned, it's going to burn anyway. But I don't have to worry about it. So the second view is the view of about half of the evangelical world. It's what I was taught in seminary. It's the view that the world's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until finally God says, eh, enough. And the battle of Armageddon takes place. Satan is defeated. The earth is destroyed and followers of Jesus go to heaven. The amillennial view, which says there's no thousand years Jesus is coming back to earth. The third, oh, this is the fun one. The third view is what's called the pre-millennial view, and it's the world of all fundamentalism. And this perspective says that there will come a day, we don't know when, when suddenly there will be a rapture. And everyone who's a Christian will rise up into the skies. Everybody who's dead will come out of their grave. Don't know about those who were cremated. No, no real word about that. <laughs> But you will find a lot of fundamentalists who refuse to be cremated because they believe it's a bodily resurrection. Their bodies have to come up out of the grave. And everybody goes up to heaven, only those who are followers of Jesus. It's called the rapture. If you're watching Channel 9 at 6 o'clock on Friday night, they tried to explain it terribly. It's just not at all a good explanation. It's like, let the theologians explain that stuff to you. But the rapture is going to take place. Then there will be seven years of tribulation on earth. But none of us will be there. We'll be in heaven already. But there will be seven years of tribulation and either three and a half years in or seven years in, all the Jews on earth will come back to Jesus. Then for a thousand years, Jesus comes back and reigns. Okay, kind of similar to the first one. At the end of that thousand years, Satan is loose for a season. The battle of Armageddon takes place. Everybody who's still on earth who follows Jesus goes to heaven. And everybody else is destroyed as the world is destroyed. It's called the premillennial view. And it's the view of all of fundamentalism, half of evangelicalism. Millions of Americans believe this. And here's a key to it. They believe because of this passage, another passage misinterpreted in Matthew Another a number of passages misinterpreted in Revelation. They believe that the rapture cannot take place and Jesus cannot return until Israel is a nation. That's what they think this is talking about, being grafted back in. That God has to cause Israel to be a nation again. Now, Israel's not been a nation since the first century. And so when Israel became a nation... At the end of World War II, 1947, this world said, finally, finally, Jesus can return. And so because they're expecting Jesus to return, they want to make sure Israel is a strong nation. 
And so this particular group of Christians does everything they can to make sure that Israel is as militarily strong as it possibly can be. They love when Benjamin Netanyahu is the prime minister because that is in fact the most radical, the one who's going to say we'll destroy everybody else, we're just going to take care of Israel. And they want to make sure Israel is strong because otherwise Jesus can't return. So that's the very conservative side, and that's why you will see, once they finally get a speaker, that the House will decide to give lots and lots of money to Israel, even if they don't want to, to Ukraine, because they are so driven by these fundamentalist Christians who believe it's important for Israel to stay strong so Jesus can come back. I am not making this up, folks. Millions of people believe this stuff. So then you have the other side of the Christian world which would be us and the church whose building we rent and lots of others who would say it is a good thing that Israel is a nation because when you look at what happened to Israel before and during World War II when you look at the Holocaust well no wonder it was important to carve out a territory that could be the nation of Israel but the people who lived there at the time weren't particularly crazy about that. So, you know, let's say that right here in Colorado, the government of the U.S. comes along and says, yeah, we're actually giving all of Colorado to the Muslims. And all of the rest of you can stay. You're welcome to stay, but actually the Muslims will be taking over. They'll be in all the governmental positions. They'll be making all the decisions, but you are welcome to stay. And then once they get here, they kind of say to all of those who are not Muslims, yeah, you're probably better off if you live on the Western Slope. Well, that's what happened. So you have Israel carved out as a nation. The Palestinians, both Christian Palestinians and Muslim Palestinians, were welcome to stay. But over time, Israel pushed them more and more and more until they finally got into the Gaza Strip, which is kind of like the Warsaw Ghetto, but not. I mean, the very fact that I would talk about the Warsaw Ghetto with the Gaza Strip explains just how bad the Gaza Strip is. It's 25 miles long, 7.5 miles wide. Millions of Palestinians live there with very few resources. So when I spoke at TED Women five years ago, one of our fellow speakers who Jonathan and I adored was a young woman, 22, who was a civil engineer who lives in the Gaza Strip, a Palestinian, who has, with her engineering abilities, figured out how to make building materials out of ash. Because Israel will not allow building materials to come into the Gaza Strip. It's also why those buildings crumble when they are bombed. But she was able to figure out those building materials. She also was able to figure out how to do solar power on the cheap throughout all the Gaza Strip because Israel was constantly cutting off the power to those in the Gaza Strip. So most of those on the kind of left side of Christianity, not fixated on the return of Jesus, are saying, yeah, Israel's got to have their own nation. But really, Israel, you got to be nicer than Palestinians. And so most of the Democratic Party, fair amount of the Republican Party, most of liberal Christianity believes in a two-state solution. That Israel should have sovereignty, but also out of Israel should be carved another state, a Palestinian state, that the Palestinians will have complete authority over. Egypt has basically come along with that. 
Looks like Saudi Arabia is kind of slowly coming along with that. Jordan is going along with that. And that makes the folks in Lebanon and Iran really unhappy because their desire is to destroy Israel, not for a Palestinian state to be created. And so their major organization, Hezbollah, has been in fact funding Hamas in Gaza. And then 10 days ago, Hamas was guilty of unbelievably awful atrocities, horrible atrocities. Cannot be excused, cannot be allowed to remain having influence in Israel in the Gaza Strip. So what happens after that? Israel completely cuts off the Gaza Strip. No water, finally turned on one pump, no electricity, not letting anybody in or out, beginning to bomb the region, telling people they can leave, but they can't leave. When they finally do, yesterday, day before yesterday, allow some, yesterday, allow some supplies in. They're not across the Israeli border, they're across the Rafah border with Egypt. And so the President of the United States goes over to assure the people of Israel, we are with you, we've always been with you, we always will be with you. But then he's also saying, um, so you do know if you completely invade and destroy Gaza and rule over Gaza, you are going to unleash the fury of Hezbollah, not only, not only in the nations that border you, but also in Iran. So it'll be Lebanon, it'll be Syria, it'll be Iran. And after that, Egypt gets involved. And after that, Russia gets involved. And after that, China gets involved. And fundamentalist Christianity is saying with great enthusiasm, let it happen. Let Armageddon come. Because Jesus will return and it's the end of the age. Biden, I think brilliantly, goes over to say, you got to get your hostages out. But you've also got to allow aid in. And you're going to have to do something there, but you cannot destroy Gaza. You cannot give up a two-state solution. But unfortunately, the prime minister there is not about to think about a two-state solution. So we have, in fact, a huge problem that is caused by religion, as so many wars have been. And so if, in fact, your view of religion is rules and regulations and getting what you want, getting God to give you what you want, well, then you are, in fact, going to be very supportive of the idea that Israel invades and destroys Gaza, Palestinians be damned, literally. If, on the other hand, you actually want to follow the teachings of Jesus to love God, love neighbor, and love self, you're going to be standing at the same place a lot of us are standing, saying, yes, Israel, this is awful. You have a right to defend yourself. And here's another tricky one, because the far left of the United States over the last couple of decades has come to the conclusion in many, many areas that Israel does not have a right to exist. And so if you take a look at the presidents of some of the Ivy League universities, for instance, when the horrible attacks took place in Israel, their response was quite tepid. 
evil is evil. Whoever is committing it. What Hamas did is unconscionable. And the fact that there are some who lean far to the left in the United States who are not willing to admit it, well, now you're doing the same thing the fundamentalists are doing. Evil's evil. Whether it's Hamas, whether it's the people of Israel refusing to help the millions in the Gaza Strip whose lives are in peril, including Jonathan and my friend. If we're going to be serious about following Jesus, then we're serious about loving God, which, by the way, loving God means loving the planet, not expecting it to burn up. To love our neighbor, the Palestinians and the Jews, and to love ourselves. That is our calling. And right now, we better pray hard that enough people, enough people, will work from that perspective. God, these are frightening times. May those who love you and love neighbor, may they prevail. May they, may they prevail. May we get to a two-state solution that allows Israel sovereignty, but also the Palestinians. May they root out Hamas for the evil that's been done. May we respect the rights of one another. May we walk a mile in each other's shoes. But this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. To learn more, go to envisioncommunitychurch.org or facebook.com forward slash envisioncommunitychurch. Thank you for joining us.